case if you want to get technical about it. So when we come into Christ, it's because he first loved us. We didn't love him. He loved us while we were yet sinners. That's by his grace. And then when we believe that, we receive the grace of forgiveness. And the, and the grace, as you're going to learn here in just a minute, just really means gifts and the, the kindness and unmerited favor of God. So we receive all of these things from grace. And the, the result of that is peace in our everyday life. So God is going to give you peace through his grace and all that you're doing. So how many want peace today? Amen. And tomorrow, or, or rather next Sunday, we're going to learn all about uh, peace. So make sure you come if you need some of that in your life. I know I do. When we look at uh, the Greek Bible, we know it's written in uh, the New Testament. is written in Greek. We see that it's charis, or if you want to say it with the uh, the Greek accent, in which my, my in-laws were over yesterday, and they were speaking Greek to me, uh, say charis. Come on, everybody, say charis. Thank you. Caris is Greek for grace. And what does it mean? I gave a little bit of a thick definition here. Then I'll give you that short one my wife mentioned earlier. God's unmerited favor and kindness. You'll hear that a lot in Bible colleges and Bible studies. I went a little bit further. So God's unmerited favor and kindness displayed in saving and empowering. Another way to look at grace is the power of God in your hour of need. It's power for the hour. Look, look at that it was, as you study your Bible. Where grace comes, power comes as well. So grace is unmerited, unmerited favor, kindness displayed in saving and empowering the believer to live for Jesus, because that's ultimately what we want to do is live for Jesus and experience the fullness of his blessings in Christ. And then if you just want that real simple one, you know, it, it, sometimes the simplest things are the easiest to remember. If you ever get stuck, just remember grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's an acronym right there that's helpful. When we look to the Apostle Paul and his usage, since uh, the book of Ephesians is one of his books, he wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. He used caris, he used grace over 100 times. So you think grace is important? The Apostle Paul mentioned it a hundred times. Just imagine if I said to you, write grace a hundred times right now, almost like an old school punishment. He didn't do that out of punishment. That's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying, write grace at this place, write grace here. And just to give you an idea of inspiration, remember this. Uh, when the Bible is inspired, and we say it's the inspired word of God, we don't mean like those old printers, like uh, God somehow took Paul's hand and it went back and forth like, the, like an old printer would print out a document. No, what we mean is in the same way, Beethoven, Shakespeare, these artists are inspired to do things. Uh, Van Gogh inspired to make a painting. These authors were inspired not by human origin, not by earthly things, but were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if you remember from last week learning about in him, when you are in a relationship with Christ, God can inspire you as well in imagination, in contemplation, and in meditation. Does anybody remember those little nuggies? Those are great journeys to go on with the Lord, taking uh, your relationship with God into the imaginary realm, into the meditation realm, into that place in your mind that you may feel it's strange to, to, to think of God in those terms, but those are actually the places where this may blow your mind, but I find I'm closest to God. When I do my prayer walk, which is almost every day, and I've had a vibrant prayer walk, uh, prayer relationship with Jesus for over 20 years, and I pray about an hour a day, after I get done singing some hymns, you know one of the first things I do with the Lord is I imagine things with him. I imagine the day 
that's already passed or the day ahead of me. I'll start imagining things in the scripture. How many use your imagination as you pray with the Lord? Anybody else? I'll start thinking about my kids and the things that they're going through. I'll imagine maybe my wife's face in an argument, and I didn't treat her right, and she made that face. But in the moment, I was so emotional, I couldn't get it, uh, the revelation that she was hurt. But now in my imagination, going through that moment, it comes back up. And so we see that grace is used 100 times in his letters because he's inspired to write it, and 12 times in Ephesians. There's only six chapters in Ephesians. That means there's an average of two times per chapter he is talking about grace. And here's a little nuggy. The second verse of the entire book of Ephesians talks about grace, and the last verse talks about grace. So literally you get a grace sandwich in the book of Ephesians. How many want a grace sandwich today? Okay, now this is what I want you to do. If you got the app or notes, shut it down right now because I don't want you to look at it. I want to give you guys a test to see how well you can recognize grace versus false religion or false grace, okay? So nobody look at their app. Last uh, first service, I kind of messed it up because I was scrolling too much and they could see it, but I ain't letting you guys see it today. Second service, you guys are going to get this test, okay? Listen to these statements, and I'll just ask you, and don't be afraid if you get the wrong answer because I want you to be honest. You're just going to be asked after I read a statement, is this a true uh, explanation of grace or is this a false explanation of grace? Okay, here's the first one. For we labor diligently to write and to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Now, do you think that's a true message of grace? Or do you think that's a false message? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands and not put anybody on the spot. But can I tell you where that comes from? That was the Book of Mormon. What you just heard was from the false prophet of the Mormon religion. This was from Joseph Smith. He was a liar. Not that I am angry at Mormons. I'm just telling you, they believe a lie. Like two plus two is four. It's not five. This is a lie. And look at how the devil uh, used him to manipulate the scripture, to make him think that he was getting a revelation, took parts of the truth and mixed it with a lie. And how many of you know, if you take parts of the truth and mix it with a lie, it's still a lie. It's still a lie, and, and that is going to be the philosophy that we need to have in recognizing false grace. But I wonder how many of you fell for it, and if you weren't in this church today, a good teaching church, and if you weren't having your mindset on exposing an error, I wonder if I just would have said to you, hey, it's by grace we're saved after you've done all that you can do. I wonder if I would have gotten an amen. I wonder if I would go to another church, if I would say that statement, you're saved by grace after everything you can do. I wonder how many would believe that. Let's go on to the next one, see if you can catch it. This one's a little bit more sassier. If anyone saith that justifying faith is nothing else but confidence in the divine mercy which remits sins for Christ's sake, or that this confidence alone is that which whereby justifies, let him be anathema. So if you say these things, be anathema. Do you think that's a true or false version of grace? Do you know where that comes from? That comes from the Roman Catholic Church in their Council of Trent. 
Canon 12. They were fighting the Reformation in the 1500s, and this is what they said to their priests. If anybody tells you that they are justified by faith, let them be anathema, and that's a Greek word for eternally condemned. Kick them out of the church. They're going to hell. Gets real when you talk like that, isn't it? I mean, I love my Roman Catholic brethren. I don't want us to go, uh, you know, I say brethren, but our family members, rather, that are Roman Catholic. Not our spiritual brothers, but there are brothers and sisters of Adam and Eve of creation. I wonder uh, if you feel like running down there and, like, you know, standing in front of that church. No, I'm not going to hell. You're going to hell. But that's not what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is tell the Roman Catholic that that is not the Bible's teachings. But this is one of their councils that the Pope presided over. So if someone says, well, I'm a Catholic and I don't believe that, because oftentimes when I wear my Chicago for Jesus shirt, I get stopped by Roman Catholics, and they love the cross. They have a great affinity for it. And so I'm very gentle and kind with them. Just like the woman who cut my hair a Wednesday, I was very gentle and kind with her, but I was explaining to her, we don't believe things outside of the Bible. That's tradition. We only believe what's in the Bible, and what's in the Bible are these key components that salvation is by faith, through, uh, by, uh, through grace, by faith, that uh, there's no man that mediates between us and God other than Jesus Christ, you know, these kinds of things. And so it was powerful for her to hear that, but once again, I wonder how many Roman Catholic friends you interact with every day, and they think they're saying the same thing, but really, they're not. Let's go on to this next one. This one's a little bit more trickier, so pay attention. This may be a true or false one that I might just be thrown in here to see if you're paying attention. Little hint, hint. Let's see. To those who believe and do the good deeds of righteousness, hath God promised forgiveness and a great reward? Don't raise your hands, but is that a true or false definition of grace? Sounds pretty spiritual. Sounds like it's in a holy book. To those who believe and do the deeds of righteousness, hath God promised forgiveness and a great reward. You want to know where that comes from? That comes from the Quran. Oh, I gave away Hinduism there, but I was trying my best. Last time I messed them all up. Look at you laughing at me in the back. Be kind, sir. Be kind. The Quran, Surah 5-9, I just took out Allah and put in God. But that's what Muslims believe. To those who believe, and there's a big and there, and do deeds of righteousness, hath Allah promised forgiveness and a great reward. So if you want forgiveness, do you get it just by believing? No, you got to do good deeds, don't you? I think we're getting a common theme here. What about the next biggest religion in the world, Hinduism? You've already seen it, so I'll give it to you now. Here's from a Hindu blogger. The gods can help us, and how I was going to read it was, God can help us, but it's only after we put in the hard work and the effort. The reward is entirely up to us. And I was almost going to put a Jewish blogger in here as well. A modern-day Jewish person believes that same thought. God only helps those who help themselves. How many of you have thought that was a true message of grace? You take out the Roman Catholicism title. You take out Islam. You take out Hinduism. We hear these things all the time. This is the mindset of works, but that is not the biblical teaching of grace. It's actually the opposite Here's a chart that I revamped for this application today. Works-based salvation versus grace-based salvation. Now, how many want to hear what Mike 3.16 says? Anybody? Now, I know we really don't want to hear it, but, I mean, I'm going to make you laugh here. But you've heard of Austin 3.16. 
And it's only because people are mocking or imitating in some ways. Maybe they're not mocking, but they're imitating John 3.16. But let's hear what Mike 3.16 says. See if you've heard this about somebody that says they're a Christian or spiritual or religious. Little by little, God is saving me because when I do my part, he does his. When I do better, I become better. How many of you have heard something like that before? I hear it all the time. What makes you a good, first I'll say to them, if you were to die today, where would you go? Well, I'll go to heaven. Why? I'm a good person. And then I ask, what makes you a good person? Because I do good things. I'm a good person. I do good things. That's what salvation is. Now, this is where I want you to hear what the Bible says. Grace-based salvations, Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been what? Saved through what? Faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the what of God? The gift of God. Now, let me teach you another Greek word that has the root of charis, charis in it, and that's charisma. Charisma, charisma is the word for gift, and charis is the word for grace. So literally, the word gift could be the graced empowerment of God. You could say, what is a gift according to the Bible is something that has come from grace. Do you get that? Don't let the words uh, uh, distract you, but listen to the meaning of them, though. Get the deeper meaning. When it says, by grace, God's unmerited kindness, I've been saved, it's through that grace that I have been graced with a gift, that I've been given something precious. Now, many of us know the scripture, and this one will get its own due time and its own service. Trust me, all the scriptures we're going to be going through today, because we're going to go through all the 12 references of Paul and a few others, all will get their own day of a service but let us think about this for a moment because many of us have gone to church and we've heard this. Now, if this is new for you, you're going to love this example. And if someone would have taught me this earlier in my salvation, I would have been so thankful. So now listen, when we understand that salvation is not me doing a little, God doing a little, that it's actually a past tense thing the moment I put my faith into Jesus. So it's not like I'm being presently saved. I am past tense saved the moment I put my faith into Jesus. On November 5th, 1995, I was saved. The work had been done. Now what does Christ continue in me? God is maturing me through the process of his sanctifying work or sanctification of removing from me the influence of stinking thinking, bad habits, so I can have the mind of Christ and be obedient. Salvation brings good works. Somebody say, salvation, thank you, brings good works. Okay, so now just track with me. So none of us know this. But here's where it gets a little tricky. We look at the world and we kind of uh, get a little bit distracted here in our spirituality because all of a sudden we take everything that's from the world and we, in the natural world and we put it into one category and then we see that our spiritual life, our spiritual world or our beliefs are in this other category and they're kind of separate, okay? Track with me on this. So in the real world, when I want to get in shape and build muscle, do I do it by grace through faith in, in our mindset? No, I go work out more. I want more muscle. I go work more. Everybody get it? Everybody say work more. When I want to get a good grade, have an education, have a degree, uh, have a promotion, and I want to excel at something in my life, what do I do? Study more. Work more. Uh, I do something in my effort. 
Now let's go to a farmer. If a farmer wants to have crops in a field and, and he says, well, I want to plant 100 corn uh, little stalks there. And now he says, now I want 200. Well, how does he go from 100 to 200? Does he do it just by grace through faith going, hey, here I am. I believe this God and whoop, there they just come. No, he goes out there and he works more. If he had to work for 100, he does double that amount of work and he gets the 200. So follow me here. What happens now in our, in our everyday life? We start to think to ourselves that Christianity is kind of make-believe. It's over here. It's that way that we think to ourselves. When I come to church, I put on my, my, my make-believe hat. It's got the little spinning helicopter top. You know what I'm talking about? That's when I come to church. I put on my little make-believe hat. But every other day, I'm out there. And things don't work by grace through faith out there. Everything out there is work, 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 reward, work, reward, work, reward. And so now if I want to become, even as a Christian, a better Christian, a more godly Christian, what do I do? I religion more. I religion more. I go to church more. I read my Bible more. I do more to be more. I do more to be more. Because doing more to be more seems to work everywhere else. I want more business. I've got to work harder at advertising. I want a better marriage. i got to work harder at uh, date night. I want to become more muscular. I've got to work harder. So everything in the world seems to reduce down to working more to have more. But there's this part of my life that God says to me, which happens to be the most important part of my life, mind you, but there's this little part of my life on Sunday and sometimes when I read my Bible throughout the week that makes me think that I shouldn't do more to be more, I should just believe. And we disconnect what we call, quote unquote, the real world from the spiritual world. And how has that happened? Because we've gotten lost as humanity. And we need to be saved. Why do we need to be saved? Because we're lost. Think about it like this. A person is, is uh, sinking in quicksand. They need to be saved. What do you do? You take them out to bring them in to a safe place. So you're drowning in the ocean. I take you out of the water, put you in the boat. You're sinking in the quicksand. I take you out of the quicksand, put you on the ground. What are we being saved from by grace? through faith, and what are we being saved to? See, this is the part where we miss it. We think we're just being saved from sin. That's grace through faith. God only could do that by sending Jesus on the cross. But after this, now I take the wheel and have to do all of these works. So it's like I might be saved by faith because of his grace, but if I want to become a pastor or a, or a leader in the church or do discipleship, I better get to working because now it's going to be just like everything else. Work more, be more. Work more, have more. Work more for reward. And the problem is, is we don't understand really what salvation is. Salvation is rescuing you from the curse of work and toil to think you earn reward. Now watch. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Was work commanded before Adam and Eve sinned? Yes, it was commanded. So is work a part of the curse? No. Work is part of God's original intention for us. But what changed about our work 
after the curse. What changed about our work, and he uses the agricultural example, is he says, now when you go to plant, you're going to deal with hard ground. Now when you go to have those plants grow up, you're going to deal with weeds. You're going to be in the hot sun. Work and toil will bring pain. Childbirthing and multiplying, and we could have said this too, want more kids? Get to work, right? Get to work. Come on, Adam and Eve, multiply, be fruitful, okay? And so you want more kids, work. But guess what? Now after the fall, women having children, hard work, painful work. And so what God is saying to us through this passage is he is saving us from the toil and the curse of the work being the mindset of what we think we do to please God. Now watch this, watch this. When I go to work, to work, when I go to work, to work, I'm doing it by grace through faith because I've been saved. Now, you may say, Pastor, the guy that I go to work with, he doesn't believe in grace through faith at all, and he does or she does the same exact work we do. What would you say to them? I would say they are not saved from their toil, and they don't know where those things they do came from. So let's go back over everything. Why is it when I work more my body in a gym with weights, I get more muscle? Is that because I go to a gym and get muscle? No, no, no. That's only the process. Where is the origin of the process where gravitational pull and resistance affect the blood, the muscles? Where does that come from? Oh, that comes back from being made in the image of God. So you mean by grace I was made a human being with muscles that can actually lift weights and do the work? You mean it was actually by grace to begin with that I was ever given a body? Absolutely. And so through my faith in doing the work out in God, I am saved from looking to a muscular body to define me and to give me my purpose in life. My purpose in life is not because I lift weights and do these X, Y, and Z works. My purpose is to do what pleases God. So by grace through faith, now watch this, by grace through faith, I go to the gym. And that's a different kind of work. By grace through faith, I take care of my kids. By grace through faith, I am saved from divorce. By grace through faith, I am saved from all of the turmoil that comes with money. You've heard the, the saying, more money, more problems. I am saved from the turmoil of money. Have you ever met uh, people that have the whole world on their shoulders? They're smart people, great jobs, but they carry the burden of their life. I'm saved from the burdens of this world because God saved me by grace through faith. So think about that as you go through your everyday life. Am I here recognizing by grace through faith? Think of the old timers who used to testify when they would come to a church like this. How would they start off this testimony service? By God's grace, I woke up this morning. By God's grace, I have air in my lungs. Thank you, Jesus. By God's grace, I made it through this week. And I remember being in services like that, thinking to myself, come on, get through it. You're here this morning. You're breathing. We get it. Now talk about whatever your thing is. But I missed it because what they were saying is what we all need to be reminded of. It's by grace I already have all of those things. But it's the moment I put my faith in the grace of God, in those things, that I am saved from all of the turmoil, the trouble that those things bring without God. Marriages without grace and faith bring turmoil. Education and the job without grace through faith brings turmoil. Money without grace through faith brings more problems. But the Bible says he maketh rich and addeth no trouble to it. 
without graceless relationships and the faith of God turn towards backstabbing and bitterness. We live now in a world that has forgotten the grace of God and we are lost. I want to challenge you as we read these 12 verses, uh, these passages from Paul, to see how he viewed grace. Because on the day of judgment, as my wife talked about, it's those who receive the grace of God and were saved that get the rewards of God. The rewards, even, yes, the good things that we do, but they were all by the grace of God. I'll get rewarded for today, but I can't take credit that I myself originated what I'm doing today. I just went along with it by faith. I didn't make today. I didn't make you come to this church today. So in other words, I didn't resist today. I went along with it, and I'll get rewarded for it. Those who are going to hell are resisting grace. And the Bible talks about the sinner continuing in their sin is not just naive or ignorant of God's grace, though they may pretend to be that way, but the Bible really says the problem with the sinner today, every sinner, whether they're living in a hut somewhere in a village, whether they're a scholar, wherever they are today, the reason a sinner is a sinner is because they suppress the truth of God and resist the grace of God. They push down the truth and say, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to apply my understanding to that. And then they say, I'm going to resist God's grace. Because in the end, they want what the devil said. Now watch it. Here's this example coming to a close. I know I went deep with you. Because what did Satan say from the very beginning? You can have whatever you want, be your own God, without the grace of God, without this acknowledgement, without this tie to him. You could be disconnected and do what you want. And so they, they rebelled against the grace of God. They rebelled against their creator. And now what happens? They're naked and afraid, hiding from God. And what do they do in their works? What do they come up with? to hide themselves, as it were, from God. What is their greatest plan they come up with? To sow fig leaves on themselves. What is everything humanity does, quote, unquote, as a work in comparison to God on the day of judgment when you are standing before him? Nothing but fig leaves. If Mother Teresa did not receive the grace of God, all she will have is just filthy rags, a little bit of fig leaves to hide her sinfulness. All of her works, all the good she thinks she will do, uh, the good that she did, will do nothing for her on Salvation Day. And I've even talked to Roman Catholics and Muslims. They argue the same argument. They'll say something like this. They'll say, yeah, but that's not fair. How could Hitler, if he would have repented right before he died, go to heaven after all this wickedness? And here's a woman like Mother Teresa who's done all this good, and yet she goes to hell. How is that fair? Because what we don't understand is that Mother Teresa wasn't good. Mother Teresa and the things she did were good, but she was borrowing them, taking them from God and not paying back as she ought to her faith. Every, listen to this, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. Where did Mother Teresa get the gift of kindness? How was she graced, charismaed to do what she did? Did she originate that in herself? Did that come from her own self-will to be that person? She can no more make herself a kind-hearted person than she can make herself a bird and fly out of the room. Are you listening? But you see, you and I, we want to take credit for our good works, don't we? 
And if Hitler on the day of his death, now he committed suicide, but let's just say anybody else like a Saddam Hussein, on the day of his death, if he admitted his sin and confessed it, he doesn't go to heaven because he deserves heaven. He goes to heaven because he stopped resisting grace. He acknowledged that which God wanted him to acknowledge. Now get this. If Satan is the liar that he is from the Garden of Eden. Is it any coincidence that every other religion is a works-based religion? Roman Catholicism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. Why? Because the devil has one beating drum. Resist the grace of God. You want more, you, got, you want to be more religious, do more, do more. Dance to the drum of religion. Now, wouldn't it be, think of it like this. I know some of you look at this and you go, this is too good to be true. And I love what C.S. Lewis said. This is the scandal of the gospel because it is so good it has to be true. It's so good it has to be true because no man would devise such a story I remember arguing with one Muslim about this, and he said, well, then what about all the bad things people do? Don't they have to pay for it and make up for it? And that's what the Roman Catholics call purgatory. You're going to pay for it there. And I said, well, you know, it's paid for by Jesus. And he said, well, that just sounds like it's a scapegoat. He had no idea where the word even came from. I said, a scapegoat, the reason why you have that terminology is because it comes from the Bible that God told them in the sacrificial system that at one time of the year they would place all the curses of Israel upon a goat, place the hand on the goat and the curses, and then send it out to die. And that was a type and a shadow of an, an example of Jesus being pushed out and dying on Golgotha's hill outside of the city. I said the whole entire reason of a sacrificial system was to show us our sin equals death. But now watch. This is the scandal of the gospel. This is that part which you think is too good to be true. It's like I was walking through the mall one day, uh, or the airport one day, and somebody goes, hey, free T-shirt. And anything that sounds free is good to me, right? So I stop. But then all of a sudden, I, I'm told, you know, well, you got to apply for this credit card. And if you get approved and the application goes through, then you get the T-shirt. I don't know if you've ever gotten these things in the mail. You've won $1,000 or the Facebook. You've won this money, but you just have to send in this money first. It's too good to be true. And we come to this and we go, this is, this is too good to be true. But this is the gospel because here's the deal. If God were to reveal himself to us, would he reveal himself to us in a way that causes us the burden and the pain of condemnation? Or would he treat us as a parent does a child? When my children came out of the womb, I did not say to Bethany, you do more and I will love you more. You do more and I will reward you more. The moment she came out of my wife's womb and I'm holding that baby, I loved her with all the love that was possible to give at that moment. That is what God is doing through the Bible. God so loved the world. See the difference? He's not standing up there at the top ladder saying, you get up here, you try more, you do more. He said, God so loved the world that he gave, once again, charisma, he gave, graced us with his only begotten son. He shows us right there the parental relationship. Wouldn't that just be like the creator who made us? To be like the parent we all want to be, 
or have in our life. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now watch this. Do not take these words for granted and think you always understand them. Go deeper than you've ever gone before. That whoever believes... Whoever believes this narrative that I can't, but he can. I didn't, but he did. Whoever believes they're helpless and hopeless, but he loves to help and give hope, shall not perish. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, that's the gospel of grace. And there is justice Here's where they don't understand, whether it be the Muslim, the Catholic, with purgatory, whoever. Here's what they don't get, is that your one sin is against an eternal God, therefore it has an eternal consequence. You cannot make up one sin. You would have to suffer for eternity in purgatory just to make up one sin. But you don't just have one eternal sin against an eternal God to make up for. You have a multiplicity of eternal sins against an eternal God. So what positive, in this way, use math, if you're dealing with infinities, what positive can now X out this one? So let's say you are 10 to the 100th power of infinity in your sin. What can now erase it to the positive 10th to the 100th power of infinity? The Bible says this, before the creation of the world, he was the lamb slain. Jesus understood that the very moment he would create free will in a system of us to obey and love him, we would choose to disobey him, and so grace would be there. There was never a problem he didn't have a solution for first. Grace is what saves us. Grace is what keeps us. It's not that I was given grace at salvation, now I just take it from here, Jesus. No, it's grace the whole way, grace up in your face. And it's not like the worldly people right now are so awesome because they're without grace. No, they're ignorant of the grace of God. They're resisting the common sense of the grace of God. Did they give themselves the body they have? Did they give themselves the generation they live in? Everything Steve Jobs ever did, good. Listen to the scripture again. Every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect charisma. Every good and perfect graced thing on this planet came from our God. Everything Steve Jobs did that was good, where did it come from? God through his what? His grace. And if he had faith in God, he would have lived a God kind of life. And he would not be in hell if he didn't know Jesus. That's where he is. And, and, and he would have more than just things that only last for a certain time. He would have the pleasure, as you're about ready to learn, he would have the pleasure of being a trophy of God's grace. Sure, he had 50 years of being a top inventor, great company. But eternity is a lot longer than 50 years. All he had to do was put his faith in God and, and acknowledge the narrative of the Bible. I didn't give me these gifts. They came from God. I put my faith in that God. Use me, Lord, in this company. He would have lived his life. Maybe to say, if you would have two parallel worlds, maybe saved Steve Jobs and non-saved Steve Jobs, live exactly the same life, uh, you know, live in the same home, uh, have the same amount of years, you know, he, he died, you know, of cancer or whatever. And, and, and so even if in this world you don't even see a difference between saved Steve or unsaved Steve, the Bible says in eternity in the world to come, you see it. Because it's by faith. I trust God that there's a reason why he gave me these gifts. I'm not doing it 
to make my ride through life easier and better and faster and all of that. I know I can be blessed in this world and God can give advantages and God can favor me. I get all of that. But I'm not doing it for that. I'm not doing this for a get free out of jail car. I'm doing this because I know he loves me and I'm captured by his love. And I feel like I was made for love. I want to give him back my love. Now watch. In eternity, do you think the difference now is something you could tell? Save Steve and unsave Steve? What do you think, Bible college student Joe B? You were laughing before you got a good answer. Do you think, we'll, we, we, let's say we could have seen a difference between saved Steve Jobs and unsaved Steve Jobs for the 50 plus years he was on earth. But do you think we'll see a difference in the eternal kingdom to come, a difference between saved and unsaved Steve Jobs? That's right. We will see a great big difference. And that's why Paul was saying, put your mind on those things. Remember, there is a world to come. How many are ready for the message now? Amen. Let's look at Paul's usage of grace in Ephesians. Well, we just went through chapter 1, verse 2. And by the way, all the rest of these are going to have their own day of interpretation and sermons. This is going to be a great sermon series. Keep coming. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's powerful to remember that grace and peace are connected together. Because of God's grace, I can have peace. Now look at this passage here, which we'll be getting into the next uh, time. It's three and onward. And I just pa- uh, pulled out five and, and seven here. He predestined us to adoption, uh, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and well will to the praise of his glorious... Hold on. You mean... When we come home to God by faith, we actually give praise to the glory of his grace. So what, rewind that. If I don't do that, what do I do then? I get judged because I resisted the praise due his glorious grace. Oh, that is such a mic drop right there. You, y'all don't get it. I want everybody to look up at me here, please. You were made for the praise of God's glorious grace. You were made for that. I'll keep you here all day until you get it. Get this in your heart. You didn't grace yourself with life. I mean, how many different ways can I say? Did you grace yourself to be in the 20th century? Most of us were born then. Others of you, you know, getting a little bit uh, younger here. Some of you were born in the 21st century. Did you grace that? Did you, did you give that to yourself? I'll be born in 1977. I'll be born to these parents. I'll, did you even grace that? Did you grace the DNA of your body? Did you grace the subatomic particles? Did you grace the universe and what you are in? How ungrateful we are as human beings. To shake back our fist to God, the very fist he formed together in our mother's womb before we even knew ourselves. How pathetic is rebellion in the eyes of God. Imagine my child, three years old, resisting me. Well, I don't want to eat this and I don't want to do this. She can't resist me without being affected by everything good I've ever given her. She's resisting me in the clothes that I bought for her to put on. She's resisting me at the table that I paid for for her to sit at. She's resisting me in the house that I paid for. Are you listening? She's resisting me in the heat condition, the heat temperature place that I'm paying for. She's resisting me going to her room on the carpet, the chair, I mean the, the floor, the stairs, everything I paid for. And she's resisting. How foolish, right? That's why God says children obey your parents. It's a sign of God's authority over us. How foolish is man with his little Nassau-sized brain, the best of us at Nassau, the best of us at Silicon Valley. How dare we say back to God, I don't want you to get praise for your grace in my life. 
I will resist you with the traitor, the devil, because I will know good and evil on my own, and I will march right out of this garden, and I will plan, and I will do this, and I'll take credit for what I build here. I'll take credit for the things I build out of the earth you gave me with the body and soul you put in me. The soul you put in my body. Listen to this, to the praise of his glorious grace. But how many want to be for the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves? Does that sound like the teachings of a false prophet called Muhammad or uh, Joseph Smith or of the Pope in Roman Catholicism, what we all just learned? No, grace freely given. Don't got to go see a priest to get it. Don't have to go join the Mormon church and start pedaling my bike to go get it. I can receive it right now. The reason why some of us struggle the most we do is because we're not letting go and letting God. Now, once again, if you see a, con- uh, see a conflict with that, it's because you don't get the reality. Well, well, does God pay my bills? God don't pay my bills. I got to get up and go to work. God ain't going to pay my bills. I got to work. I got to work. No one's going to pay my bills except me. That church stuff, I got better stuff to do. That's what Bill Gates said. They asked him, do you go to church? He said, no, I got better stuff to do on Sunday. What a fool. You mean you have something better to do than acknowledge the God who has graced you with every single thing you do? Why do you think in the Old Testament God said take one day a week, a Sabbath, to stop what you do and think about what I do? To remind you, this ain't about you. It never was about you. You are a speck of sand in a universe that will forget you. If there is no God, there's no purpose to your life, no breath in your lungs worth anything more than the breath of a dog's lungs. But yet you stand here today or you sit here today with significance, with value, with dreams, with hopes and ambitions. Most of us here have experienced the bright sun of life. We have felt the joy of love. We have felt the excitement of accomplishment. Most of us here, no matter how terrible our life is, we have experienced the bright rays of God's blessing upon our life to at least know that this place is not only of misery and of pain and of senseless violence, that there is something here of value. And God is saying, it's for my glorious grace. The reason why I'm still enduring with mankind and their wickedness, for my glorious grace. The reason why you're here is for my glorious grace. It's been freely given. Now watch, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Keep going. Chapter 2, verse 5 and 9. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. When was Joe Wyrostic made alive in Christ? When I was a sinner or when I was a saint? When was I made alive in Christ? When I was a sinner or a saint? A sinner. When you and I were sinners, before we even knew what good to do, now you have to understand, these people were alive at the time of the crucifixion, so it's more meaningful for them in their time frame. We already know Jesus has been dead and raised after, you know, 2,000 years ago. We come after the fact. But put yourself in these people's positions. They're now 40, 50 years old or hearing the gospel message, and Paul is saying, hey, Bubba, you listen here. You didn't do this. When you were 20 years ago having sin, uh, living in adultery, doing all that you were doing in a false religion, that's when Jesus died, when you were at your worst. And how much now more so should we get that Revy right now and go, hold on, Jesus died while I was still a sinner. It was already done. My sins were paid for. Imagine this, you get into debt, 
Some of you got school loans. Some of you got credit cards, mortgage. You, you go into debt. And imagine someone coming to your house going, how much do you owe? And, and let's say it's about the house. And, and you say, well, I owe 300000 on this house. And they go, I got a check right here for 300000 All you got to do is just believe me and take it. Just believe me and take it. Would you take a chance and believe that person and take it? Most of us would. We'd be like, I ain't got nothing to lose. Now imagine if you opened up that check and it was dated the day you purchased that house. So he came there a long time afterward, but it had already been paid for. And all you had to do to receive it was just believe it, take a chance on it, trust him or her, whoever's at your door. That's what it's teaching us here. My debts were already paid. The moment I came onto this planet in 77, my debts were already paid. I just had to be willing to believe it. I had to be willing to take him at his word. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. We will talk about how you are raised in Christ, seated in heavenly realms right now. I will blow your mind on that day. Most of you do not understand the realm of the spirit, and you will be able to observe it in one sense. I can't promise you you're going to see a vision. But as we start to get into these things, you will acknowledge at some level, if you are willing to go on these journeys with me, that God is truly with you in heavenly places right now. I will show how heaven's coming to earth through you right now. They asked Jesus, they said, where is the kingdom of God? Is it over here? Is it over there? He said, it's within you. That's what he told them. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now watch this, verse 7. There is a future promise to come. Watch it. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now this is where I love, as a, as a pastor, to use fiction. There's like two things that always help me explain the Bible. That's you know, fiction, and then scientific discoveries. And those never contradict in my mind. I mean, sometimes fiction can, obviously, but for the most part, uh, fiction is always going to be based on some kind of uh, idea that you can apply, and I love to use it. And then uh, science always confirms the Bible, so that's why I always love to talk about it. But here, watch this. In Lord of the Rings, if you've ever seen it, it's a story about these people who live in what's called Middle Earth at a certain age. That's the key there, an age of Middle Earth history. And there's hobbits and there's dwarves and there's elves. And there's these unique people, though, that live among them that are known as wizards. But these wizards are not like Harry Potter's wizards. They're not like people that do magic, etc. They have power, but in Lord of the Rings, because they had to be summarized, and each ver there's three of them before you get to the, you know, the Hobbit, which came afterwards. And they're all three hours long, basically. So there's things that are left out from J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, books. And so J.R.R. Tolkien wanted to explain some of these things, even for his readers, that he didn't even put in his books, because those books were really thick, too. Long story short, what he explained, and I, thought, I think it's useful here to take a moment to help use our imagination, is he talked about these people like Gandalf were, were people from other ages, and they were inserted into that world to be there for guides. But yet there were other creatures that were fallen creatures from other ages, and they were in there, and they served the purpose of evil. If you remember in the first one, when Gandalf fights Balrog, that crazy dragon fiery creature, and he goes, you shall not pass. That evil creature, I got somebody in the back, that evil creature is from another age. Now watch this. The Bible says you're a part of an age now, and there's an age to come. You give God glory right now for the grace that he's given you in this age, but there's an age to come. You remember that? You guys know about that in your Bible? And it says there's an age to come. It also talks about it. Just turn there quickly with me. In Matthew chapter 28, one of our famous verses that we always bring up here in the church in discipleship, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, just so you can see it again. 
It says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm, I'm with you always to the very end of the... So this age is going to end, and what's it going to be replaced with? It's going to be replaced with the millennial kingdom, a thousand-year rule and reign of Christ. We've talked about this here before. It's so exciting to think about. I've been to Disney World. I've seen people surround a castle and watch a show, but that's nothing to what God's going to do. There will be a temple and a castle in Jerusalem. Jesus will rule and reign from it. There will be a judicial system of the 12 apostles sitting on thrones, and they will rule the land. All of us from this age who have been a part of Christ's body, accepting of his grace, will be the Gandalfs of that age. We will have glorified bodies, the Bible says, and we will be a kingdom of priests and leaders in, the, in that government. So imagine me being the governor of Illinois. Imagine you being the governor of Beijing. We will rule and reign with Christ for a 1,000 years. The Bible says if someone dies at 100 years old, they'll die as a mere child. That age will be the age of peace and bliss, the utopia that the socialists now want. But it's not a godless utopia. It's a God-filled utopia. That's why it's peace. And God does this for the strict purpose, for one reason, one reason only. It's not so you and I can walk around as Gandalfs upon the earth or be superheroes. It's not so that we can have all of the accomplishments. We will solve all of the world's problems. All of the diseases will be healed. All of these things will happen. It's not for that reason. It says for one reason and one reason only is this age coming to this world so that the incomparable riches of his grace may be expressed. That is it. Why? Because we will show the Steve Jobs that it was worth serving Jesus. Jesus will show everyone on this planet, whether they're in the pit with the devil, because they will be there watching us, and we'll see them in torment for a 1,000 years. It's after that 1,000 years they're thrown into the lake of fire, into abyss where we never see them, but for a 1,000 years we will see their torment, and they will see our pleasure. I know that sounds like it's too hard to believe, but it is true. Read your Bible. If Steve Jobs has not accepted Jesus Christ and did not want to be an expression of his grace, he will be an expression of his wrath. And he will be in that place for eternity. And yet for a thousand years, he will watch me pass over him as I go to the holy city of Jerusalem to worship and pay tribute to Jesus, to rule and reign. And all the angels will be there as well as our servants. And they will know why the sons and daughters of God are so unique. We have a unique place in the kingdom. It's because we are the expressions of the riches of God's grace. For whatever reason, he chose to let fallen angels remain in their choice. I like to say it like this. Much was given. Much was required. Their choice was permanent. Mankind was given a second opportunity through the grace of God. We know this was always a part of his original intention. He didn't have to fix it as it went along. He already had the problem solved before it came into our world. And so the idea is, do you want to be a part of the expression of God's grace? Do you want to participate in God's grace? How do you do it? This is, once again, a passage that we'll go over. But it's simple. You don't resist God's grace. You don't take credit for things that don't belong to you. You accept it, and you give him praise for it. You trust him through your faith, with your heart, and you love him back. He loved me, now I love him. That is my choice. That's the one thing out of all of these things that I can't be forced to do. You know, uh, and it's all my free choice is to love him back. But the love starts by him loving me first. And that's why we weren't made as robots. We were made for a love relationship, and so his grace initiates it. Do you resist, or do you say, I'll go on that great romance? There's a book called The Great Romance, and it's about being in love with God. 
and how it's even it's written by men, so it's not some feminine like, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey with Jesus or something. But it is called the sacred romance. And the whole, the whole concept of the book is humanity was meant to be in love with God. And that fulfills all of our purposes. And if we look in our lives and we search through our past and our hurts and the things that bother us the most, we'll always see the path leading us back to his grace, the path leading us back to that love. Can I hear an amen? And it says you've been saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Will I boast on Judgment Day for all the good works that I did in Jesus' name? Will you boast on Judgment Day for being a good father? Will you be there and say, look at me, Jesus. I was such a good father because I was a great Christian. No, everything we do will be to the praise of his glorious grace on that day of judgment. I love the idea of us being crowned with our reward as a crown. The Bible says, let no one take your crown. Paul says, in heaven there is laid up for me a crown. But then you study after the life of Paul, who had the idea of the crown being the reward for the believer. You get into the book of Revelation, the end times, and you get the pictures of heaven and what it looks like when we're up there giving, getting rewards and coming back with Christ. It says in Revelation that then we crown him with many crowns. So everything we did by his grace, by not resisting him, but allowing us to keep in, allowing him to keep in step, uh, allowing him to take the steps that we would follow, rather, not resist, but take him by, uh, let him take us by the hand and walk with us. Everything that happened that was good, he does rightfully give to us as a reward. And he says, he's going to say, well done, Joe. Uh, you didn't pull back when I told you to go start a church in Chicago in your house. Well done. Here's a reward for that. Here's a jewel on your crown. Joe, well done for wanting to have a big family. That was a word for me. Joe, I told you to do that, and you didn't pull back and say, I'm not walking that way. I'm walking towards the bachelor to the rapture, dating every girl I see. You know, No, you took on the life of a husband and a father. Well done. So there's the crown, right? But when we go to worship him in Revelation, and I also believe upon the, the earth and that millennial kingdom, when we come, we will give him the crown. We'll give him the crown, and we'll say, thank you, Jesus for allowing us to do these things by your grace. All the glory goes to you. You know, in everything we do, we should say, by God's grace, by God's grace, by God's grace. It should become a part of our daily language. As a matter of fact, Paul always talked about grace and peace, grace and peace. We, in, in our culture, we always say, God bless you, and that's great, but I would like to challenge us, even in this church, to go with the biblical expressions and say, grace and peace, grace and peace, by God's grace, and use those more than God bless you, because in God bless you, we don't get a lot of theology there. Even though it's good that God should bless us, but you say to somebody, grace be with you today. Or by God's grace, I, I, I pray you get that raise. It starts to teach us that it is all about his grace. Can I get an amen? Just something to work on. Ephesians 3, 2. Surely you have, see, how are we going to work on it? By his grace. Amen. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Do you always notice here that grace and gift, grace and given, are always right next to each other? Cadiz, Cadiz mom. Gift, grace. Grace or graced, like I was graced with this. I was given this. Now we read the Bible and I understand most of you are not like me, a pastor. Most of you don't do full-time ministry, so I know it gets a little hard when you read this because you go, well, that's obvious Paul was given the grace to be an apostle, but where's the grace in my life? Paul is not saying this to say, look at us as apostles. We're so awesome. It's actually just him saying, 
all that I have came from God's grace, and you're supposed to look at him and go, yeah, Paul, and everything I have came from God's grace. So think about it like this. Let's say Nandri was to read this out loud today, and she was going to read it to a home Bible study of, of, of wives that maybe she's doing with some women. She goes, surely you heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for me to be a leader here or for me to be on this job. Or Augustine could say, for the grace for me to be a police officer. Or someone could say, like Daryl, the grace God gave me to be an engineer. And if you notice, what God gives us is to go to us, to go through us. God gives us gifts so that we can gift them to others. How many know there's uh, something wrong with selfishness? Why is that wrong? If we're all just animals, whoever has the most nuts wins, right? But no, we know we're made for something deeper than that. Why is it in our worldview there's something when we give that you couldn't have from the product or the thing you're giving, but you get a sense in your heart that's bigger than that? So let's say I give you $10 today. I'll get a reward in my heart that's worth more than the $10. That's something $10 never could have given me. But because I gave it, I get a certain kind of reward. Well, your life is a reward that God, or rather your life is a gift that you reward to others. You give your treasure to others. And you may say, well, I'm only going to reward it to some people. And that's true. we got to be careful about how we give our lives to people. Uh, you know, and sometimes people don't deserve, quote, unquote, certain things. But I want to take that word deserve out of our vocabulary and say, whoever God tells us to give our gifts to, we're to give it to, whether we think they deserve it or not. Now, I know sometimes I don't give money to homeless people. Matter of fact, I never give money to homeless people. But if God asked me to, I would. Now, what do I do for homeless people? I give them a chance to get off the streets and go into a shelter. But I pastor them. I pick them up from church. I'll do that. That's my gift to them. I don't want to feel like I'm wasting my time with them. Now, you have to learn how to give your life to people in the same way. Look at what Paul said here. Once again, that same thought. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So maybe our, our sister Rowena would say, this grace God gave me was to be a doctor, to be a teacher, a professor. Lee would say, this grace was given to me so I could be a nurse. You would say, this grace has been given to me uh, Iris, to be an administrative assistant, to be a grandmother. We would look at our, if we're honest, we look at our lives, we see all these gifts. Who do we give the credit to? We give them to God. Amen? And now here, if you didn't hear it before, as I made the application, now Paul says it plainly. Look at Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us. How many of us? Each one of us. When we had our children's uh, party yesterday, or Hannah's party yesterday, and all their friends came over, the ch all her friends, the children, how many of them do you think I, as a good parent, gave the little presents to. I gave them all to them. Because, you know, when you go to children's birthday parties, every little child's got to get a little gift, you know, because you don't want them to feel left out as the one person gets all the gifts. So they give goodie bags to children. How many know what I'm talking about? You come, there's a goodie bag. How many, goodie, how many kids do you think got goodie bags? Each one of them or just some of them? All of them. Now, if they didn't want it, could they have resisted it? I don't want that. Could they have taken it? ate some of those M&Ms or whatever, and then threw the rest in my face. They could have done, in, in, a, in a perspective, I mean, in one perspective, they could have done whatever they wanted with it, but it wouldn't have changed the fact that I gave it to them. So now Miley Cyrus may say, well, God gave me the ability to twerk, and I'm, I'm graced with the twerking ability. But what would we say to Miley Cyrus? God gave you a healthy body, the ability to dance, and you're ruining it because you're resisting the grace of God to do something dirty. Do you see the difference? 
When I sin, I'm resisting the grace of God. Look at this one. This will be where I wish we could spend the rest of our time, but this is something we got to run through. But we'll get to this verse, trust me. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give, that it may give what? Grace, thank you to those who hear. How many of you are speaking grace-filled words today? I mean, there's our challenge, isn't it? This is where we grow in grace. Remember, there's a scripture that says grow in grace. We've talked about that. Grow in grace. I can tell you right now, I don't always give grace to my wife and my words. I don't always give grace to my kids, but I'm an agent of grace. Did you know that? You're an agent of grace. You've been graced to grace others. You are the blessing that some people are praying for right now. There's somebody praying for you right now, and they don't even know it's you, and you don't even know it's them. Somebody's praying this, I feel alone, and I need a friend, and you're that friend. Someone's saying, I need a job. I need someone to believe in me, and you're going to be that employer. Someone is saying today, I need that extra help in my life, and you're going to be that disciple today to take them under your wing. You are going to literally be an expression of God's grace, but you got to speak the words of grace. you got to speak words of kindness. And then the last verse here of the book of Ephesians, he ends it very similar to how he begins it. Remember the second verse and the last verse, so similar. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So how do I stay in the sacred romance? By works? No, by love. That's the expression of my faith. The expression of my faith in my wife is, in the marriage is that I continue to love her. Some people say, well, we've fallen out of love. We'll fall back in love. Some people say, well, you know, I don't love her like I used to. Well, who changed? You may say, well, she changed. She gained, let's talk to the guys. Well, she gained weight. She did this or whatever. But if you loved her for more than what she is on the outside, you would never change your love for her. But if your love is superficial, it changes with the seasons. Or if somebody says, well, she doesn't, let's say the husband says, well, she nags at me now. She treats me as such and such a way. Okay, how much grace did God give you then? Did God give you just a little grace for your wife or a lot of grace for your wife, right? When is it a man can leave his wife, the Bible says, when she leaves him? We are okay to divorce in the Bible when the one resists our love and says, I'm out of here. When they leave, you're done. You're free of your obligation. But until then, you fight with love and grace for your marriage, amen? And the same thing with our children. How long are we responsible for them? As long as they're under our roof. In our country, we have a law that we have to keep them there till 18. My wife kicked, uh, my mom kicked me out rather at 16, didn't want to let me back in. The police kept uh, arresting me, putting me back at home, saying he needs to be here. On my 18th birthday, my mother gave me my car keys, gas money, and she said, you are gone and you can't come back. My mother was a Christian woman. That was the best gift she could have ever given me. It was a gift of goodbye. That was grace because she was showing me I will not compromise in this house. So parents, you take care of them as long as they are in your house to the age of responsibility. And then at that point, you let them make their own decision because you say, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Amen? Now, some of you say, that doesn't sound gracious. Does everybody go to heaven? There's a hell, isn't there? Not everybody's going to be in my house either. You better live for Jesus if you're in my house. If you're an adult and you want to come to my house, you live for Jesus. You don't live for Jesus, in my, you're out my house. My sister came to my house, smoked in my front yard, my mom didn't tell me because she knew that I would be upset, but my kids told me. 
My kids told me, they said, you know what, she put that thing in her mouth, and I saw her out there, what is that, Daddy? And I said, well, that's a cigarette. And then I told my mom and I told my sister, you don't have permission to do that anywhere around here. Well, what if I want to go smoke? Well, then don't come to my house then. Just don't come to my house. If that's what you want to do, then go do it somewhere else. That's my grace for you. That is my grace. God gave me grace to have a choice. I made my choice. Now you go make your choice. Sin and grace do not go hand in hand together. Do not think to yourself that, and, and the Bible says this, and I wish I had time, but that we don't go on sinning because we have grace. God, Bible says, God forbid, because of grace, I hate sin. Amen? But he loves us in our sin, but too much to let us stay in our sin. Can I get amen for that? I won't read this whole passage right here, but you ever feel weak and you don't feel like Christianity comes easy, that there's problems that you face in life, sometimes you feel broken, sometimes you feel like nobody gets you. Well, Paul felt that way at one time, but he didn't stay a wreck, he didn't stay broken, he let God heal him, heal him, and Jesus gave him a word. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Grace doesn't mean you pretend to have it all together. Grace is found in the places where you say, I can't, but he can that's the exchange of God's power. It's in your weakness, not in your pride. Now, I do believe sometimes we give ourselves pity patty parties, and God doesn't want us to do that. But there are true times in life you will feel weak. We've all been there. I felt weak watching my wife go into surgery for a broken ankle in that accident, and I had to take care of the kids at home. I felt so weak, but I found God's grace to be so powerful there. I literally can look back on that six-month period of her being in the accident and having to live on the first floor and me taking care of the kids and hiring someone to come and clean the house and all of that that I went through and not being able to go out with my guys and spending all this money. We hadn't got our claim money yet and, and going broke and all of those things. I literally can look you in the eyes and say right now, if it wasn't for God's grace, I wouldn't be here. I can tell you that. And you know when I'm talking about some of the old timers used to start their testimony just like that, if it wasn't for God's grace. And once again, I used to look at that and I would say, man, if it wasn't for God's grace, you still could have did that. You, and it's like, I didn't know adult stuff. There are things that people commit suicide over, but it was God's grace that got me through. Come on. There were marriages that already fell apart, but by God's grace, my marriage is still here. There were things that happened in families, but because of God's grace, we've been spared through. I mean, you could be here all day listening to the testimonies of what people would tell you that they know. Even if it wasn't, I'm a better, uh, I have a better life because of God's grace. I would still serve him with the world to come, and for the praise of his grace, I would still do that. But listen to me. There is a difference even in this life that we as Christians literally look back on our life and go, if it wasn't for his grace, I could have lost my mind, but, it, but his grace kept me. I could have quit on my wife, but his grace. I could have quit on these, but his grace. Come on, somebody. Here's the applications quickly in closing. Let's have Rachel come, please. Here they are. Number one application of God's grace is humility. God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud, so be humble. Do you see how that now works in closing? Do you get it? The resisting of his grace is pride. The submitting to his grace is humble. That's a choice we make. And 1 Peter actually, uh, 1 Peter 5, 5 says, we actually get more grace the more we humble ourselves. The more we come into that relationship, we get more. Look at it, what it says. All of you closed yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now watch this. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I know this is so hard for people who deal with anxiety, but this is something you need to hear. 
don't carry it, cast it on Jesus. Every psychologist and psychiatrist will tell you the same exact thing. They may medicate you. They may counsel you for, for 10 years, but the bottom line is always going to be this. Get out and get in. Get out of that mindset. Get into a different mindset. It is pride to hold on to your anxiety. Let it go. Practice releasing it to God. God is in control. God is my creator. Whether I live or die belongs to God. Can I get an amen? Come on, somebody. Cast your cares on him. That's a good K-Love song. Cast your cares on him. I will cast my cares on you. I will cast my cares on you. Anybody know that, that K-Love song? Come on, you sing it. You sing it the way it's. There you go. I will cast my cares on I woke up one morning singing that. It felt so right. Watch this. Holiness. God's grace gives us power not to sin. And it doesn't give us permission to keep sinning. So live holy by God's grace. That's what Romans 6 says. Shall we go on sinning? No. By, by God's grace, we put to death those things. Look at it. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Have you died to sin? Can I hear an amen if you have? If it comes back up, put it to death. You ever feel like you're playing that game at uh, Chuck E. Cheese with your sin sometimes? It comes up, boom. You hit it down, comes up, boom. Hit it down. You just keep hitting that down by God's grace. Amen? Identity. You are who you are by God's grace. Grace to do the good works that God has for you comes first by believing that you are God's good work of grace. Wow. I just wish we could get that. I wish I could get that more often. I will do God's good works when I remember I am God's good work. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's Ephesians 2.10. Everybody like that scripture? One of my favorites. Look at it. We are God's what? Handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Now look at 1 Corinthians 15.10. This one will blow you away, man. I love this scripture. This one is like, whoa. Thank you, Jesus. I'll receive that today. I won't argue. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace given to me was, out, was not without effect. No, I worked harder than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. That gets me so excited. Man. Does that get anybody else excited? I am what I am by the grace of God. Woo! And his grace, it ain't just this powerless grace. It's got effect in me. It's affecting me. And I work harder than them all. I am the hardest working pastor you know, but I'm the happiest pastor you will ever know. I am not a depressed pastor. I'm not an overworked pastor. I am not a stressed pastor. I've got five kids. I'm the happiest father of five you will ever meet, Jack. Are you listening to me? You haven't met a happier man than me. And it's not because everything goes good in my life. It is because God is good in my life. Oh, man, I just want to beat up the devil and shout right now. I'm telling you, God has been so good to me. People ask me all the time, how do you keep it together with five kids? By God's grace. How do you do all that you do in the church? By God's grace. You've got mega church pastors going on depression medication. My one friend had a church the size of this, went on medication. These guys can't handle it. The pressure, the pressure, the pressure. Everybody makes excuses for their pressure. But the Bible says, cast your cares on him. 
You ever see me down and out, you look me right in the eye, sir, and you say, cast your cares on Jesus, Joe. Joe, I see you carrying your cares now. Cast your cares on Jesus. Every one of you got permission to say that to me. Amen. Mm, Hardest working nurse you'll ever meet right there. Mother of three. God is with them. You're blessed by the grace of God. The Bible says he gives his blessings through his grace. Keep your faith. Because when we lose that faith, we lose that connection to the blessing. Once again, blessings aren't just those tangible things. I know there's people that got things that aren't quote-unquote blessed by God, but they don't have the, the peace, the emotional blessing, and that's what's the fruit of the Spirit, which is what keeps all those things in order. So if you had a choice, excuse me, billionaire without Jesus, billionaire with Jesus, what would you pick? Billionaire with Jesus. So then just back that up. 20,000 a year job with Jesus or 20,000 a year job without Jesus, right? Now, I guess the real question would be billion without Jesus or 20,000 with Jesus. See, you haven't had enough money yet then. You haven't talked to enough billionaires and you haven't watched enough of their documentaries to understand the billion is not going to do all the things you need in emotionally, uh, an emotional sense because that's who we are. We're spiritual beings. Emotions and spirituality go hand in hand. Forgiveness. Oh, I could stay here all day, but the Bible says that we are to resist bitterness so that we do not become um, outside of the grace of God. Look at this, Hebrews 12, 15. Can I just read this to you right here? Look at this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Look at your neighbor and say, don't fall short of the grace of God because of a bitter root that grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. How can you miss the grace of God? By being bitter. You can miss it by resisting forgiveness. So don't get bitter. Get better. Get better. How do you get better? By letting the grace of God teach you to forgive. I'm so hurt. I'm so hurt. Feels so bad. It just feels bad. It just hurts. Did you ever just feel that way? You don't talk like that when you're hurt, but you know what I'm talking about. We all get hurt. I just hurt. I just don't feel good. I just don't know if I can love again. This person hurt me. My parents hurt me. I just don't know if anybody's trustworthy. I'm just so hurt. I'm just so hurt. What does God say? Forgive? Forgive and let the grace go through you. That doesn't mean you approve of what they did. You just forgive. Now what happens? You get better. You forgave. You let grace go through you, and you let God deal with them now. But grace takes the poison out of you. Bitterness is wishing your enemy will die while you put the poisonous dart into yourself. It's counterproductive. And the Bible teaches this, not Oprah Winfrey in The Secret, okay, her documentary about New Age principles. This is, this is the Bible that says, if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. That's how it works. It shows the true forgiving heart. The one who truly has been forgiven wants to forgive others. And when we find ourselves, and you know this as a Christian, whenever you've been tempted not to forgive, man, how fast does that peace go away? (laughs) Come on, have you ever been bitter before? Let's be honest. How long does that peace remain in your heart? You know, so my wife and I get in an argument. Well, you know what? You know what? She's wrong. I was right. I don't need to say I'm sorry. I don't need to forgive that in that sense. You know, I'm like, I don't need to deal with it that way. I don't need to say I'm sorry. And that bitterness comes in, and then what happens to my peace? (laughs) That peace is sailing away. Now, God is still with me. I don't believe God has left me, but the peace of God. The Bible says don't grieve the Holy Spirit who you've been sealed with. What does the grieving of the Holy Spirit emotionally feel like? Feels like unrest. Feels like angst. Feels like condemnation and guilt and shame. 
and you're wondering why all those things go all together. You know, bitter people tend to sin more in other areas because they open their doors up to those things. So like a pastor who's bitter in ministry will be more open to an affair in ministry. When you're more bitter towards people, you'll be more angry. You'll tend to use your words more violently. and all You know, these things grow out of that. Look at what it says, the Bible. It's not my words. See that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. What is bitterness? It's a root, but what does it grow up? All this fruit. You don't like the fruit, check the root. Right? You don't like your attitude, the fruit of your attitude, check the root of your attitude. Well, so-and-so did me like this, and that happened to me. Okay, forgive them and move on. FEMO, F-E-M-O, forgive them, move on. Let God deal with them, amen? Let's stand up, give it up for Jesus. And it's... I don't know about you, but I'm excited to experience his grace this week. Here's a, good, here's a good nugget to think about on the end of today's service. God's grace has given the world everything that is good and has spared us from all that is evil. He's given us that choice. Yet grace is not just the characteristic of God, but the very person of God, the Son. Did you know that? God is grace, just like God is love. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. All of these not only describe our God, but they are actually the person of God, the Son. Listen to what Titus 2.11 says. For the grace of God appeared. Oh, grace appeared? How did that happen? Was that like Sesame Street? Here come the G, the R, and the A, and it appeared, and it kind of danced down the road. No, grace appeared when Jesus appeared and offered salvation to how many people? Oh, come on, A-L-L, how many? So is grace appearing to you today, offering you salvation? Yes, Jesus is here. He said, by the power of the Holy Spirit to the very end of the age, where two or three are gathered together. That's why it's so important we come to church. He is with us, and his grace is appearing to you. So will you resist it or receive it by faith? Let's just close our eyes right now and ask God to show us the areas of our life that we need to let grace do its work. Grace works. It's not our works, it's the work of grace. Let grace do its work right now by the Holy Spirit. Right now, Lord, show me the areas of my life that I need your grace. Let's start with salvation. If you don't know the Lord, let the grace of God make you a new creation right now. Repent of your sins, say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of all that I've done wrong. Make me a new creation. I believe in you. You died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and are coming back. By the grace of God, you confess Jesus is Lord. You'll be saved right now. All those who are already saved, look at your life. Where is the grace of God needed most in your life today? Where do you need the grace of God? Start to pray it through. It's not a library. It's a prayer meeting right now. Come on, let's pray. Mothers, I double-dog dare you to pray. God, I need your grace to be the mother you called me to be. Fathers, pray the same thing. Husbands and wives, come on, children. After you've prayed for your families, why don't you ask the grace of God to empower you on your job tomorrow, all this week, no matter what you face, by the grace of God, you will accomplish what the Lord has given you to do. Oh, but I feel weak sometimes. That's okay. Admit your weakness. And his grace will be your power in the hour of need. His grace will be your power in the hour of need. A few moments right now, all those applying the grace of God, mean it from your heart today. 
I am what I am by the grace of God. And His grace has a powerful effect on me. Through that grace, I work harder than them all. By God's grace, come on, confess it today. I'll be the hardest working pastor. I'll be the hardest working nurse. I will do good works, but it's because I am the good work of God. I will lose weight. Anybody need to lose weight and get in shape? I've had to pray it before. Come on, by God's grace, I will do the workouts because I'm the work of God. By God's grace today. Anybody saving up? I talked to some people at the party yesterday from our church buying a house. Anybody here with goals in their finances right now? Come on, I will work hard and save much by the grace of God because he causes me to prosper. He favors me. He cares for me. Who else has goals in this place? Who else has dreams in this place by the grace of God? How about some prayers right now for the lost people that don't have the grace applied to their loss, uh, to their souls, their laws? Why don't we pray the grace of God over the, the inner city right now, over gang members? Why don't we pray the grace of God over corruption in our politics? No more governors going to jail, right? How about the grace of God for our teachers in public schools? The grace of God in our corporations. No more uh, corruption there. God's grace, God's grace up in your face right now. Come on. God's grace in our politics. We pray for him to move and touch lives there. God, do it, Lord. Move over our nation, over this world, God. Let your grace cover the world. Let every gospel-preaching church today be an instrument of grace, empowering those who hear and listen to the message. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Oh, God is so good. Don't you feel the Holy Spirit here? Oh, I sense God's grace is in this place. If you don't sense God's grace, there may be a, a few things that are hindering it, and some of our prayer workers will help you, so don't leave. Well, sometimes we don't feel it and everything's right, but just in case there's some things that maybe you're not believing right or some, some things that you just got to get some prayer for, come see some of our friends up here who love to pray in Jesus' name for the grace of God to come and manifest for people. But for the rest of us, before we go, let's just worship that to, to this last part of the song, I believe in your love, I believe in you, because it's grace through faith that we're saved. In every area of our life, grace through faith, I'm saved from greed. Grace through faith, I'm saved from divorce. All of that, right? But I have to believe in something. What is my faith believing in? Just faith itself, a wishing well, no, or a God that's far off. No, I'm putting faith, listen to John 3, 16, in the God who so loved the world that believes that he gave his only son. Do you get that? That's what we're having faith in today is that I am loved. It makes a difference, doesn't it? I just don't have faith in a somewhere out there distant God. I have faith in a God that loves me and cares for me. It makes a difference. Let's just sing that part out and then we'll dismiss. I believe in your love. Simple words, but will transform your life. No matter what you're facing today, would you sing it out? We believe in the love of God. Amen? That's what makes our religion different. It's a relationship. Oh, just a few more times, saints. Come on. Let's encourage each other. I